0: welcome. It, it truly is good to gather together as God's people, and, and I know I say this most Sundays, but there's a lot going on in life, and you coming here, um, I know that God is going to bless you in that, so way, way to be here, way to get to church when there's so many reasons not to go. Um, you are here, and that's a good, a beautiful thing. So we're going to be looking at Matthew 5, 1 through 12 this morning. What does it mean to be blessed? Uh, It is the Beatitudes that we're going to be looking at. I believe seven sixty eight in your pew Bible, if I remember correctly. Um, But we're going to be talking about blessings a lot this morning. Uh, We use that word a lot, don't we? We use the word to bless, to blessings, to be blessed in a variety of ways. If I were to sneeze what would you say? Bless you, right? We use this word, blessing, all the time. We, we Oftentimes we look at people that have a lot of money and possessions and we say that they are blessed. If your family is successful, you are blessed. Some people ask God to bless them with different things, a new car, a new job, no, nothing wrong with any of these things, by the way. I did just see on Instagram a family friend of ours, they were in Florida, and the the title of it was Living the Blessed Life. By the way, I'm not an Instagram fan. I have Instagram, but I call it Fake Lifegram because it's just like you put all your best pictures. You're never like, look, my child just pooped their pants and it went everywhere. That doesn't show up. You're always on a beach in Florida. We live perpetually on beaches in Florida, right? But that's I think, gets a little bit at what at least culturally we think of it means to be blessed, right? That's the blessed life living on a beach in Florida. By the way, I love Florida. But if you were to ask uh, most Americans, Westerners, what does it mean to be blessed? And I think pretty much any in the world, they would say it's have lots of money, have a healthy family, maybe a piece of property somewhere. Sounds like a Jimmy Buffett song, but that's a whole other thing. If you were to ask me what it means to be blessed, I would take a cabin in the woods on some property with some good fishing. Could wake up every day and fish, hike. That would be the blessed life for me. But I have to ask myself, there's nothing wrong with those things, but is that how the Bible uses the word blessed? Is that how the Bible uses the word blessed or blessing or to be blessed by God? Or does it mean something else? And I think, I hope we see this morning in the Beatitudes, as we look at those, it means something else, it's something bigger than, and even greater than those things, though those things are good. As Christians this morning, I hope that we see blessing as something we receive from God. And it's probably a little bit different than culturally what we view and what we think blessing looks like. Now, I just want to set the scene here really quick. We've kind of fast-forwarded ahead uh, a kind of a scene here in Matthew. Um, and so what's going on in chapter 4, verses 17 through 25? Um, right before Jesus is going to preach what's called the Sermon on the Mount, he's proclaiming the gospel, it says, of the kingdom of God, and he's healing every disease and every affliction among the people. We see this in Matthew 4.23. So Jesus is ministering, He's doing all these amazing things. He's preaching the gospel. He's healing people. Uh, Blind people are seeing again, right? And if you're in town, if you're in Wellman, and there's a guy going around and making blind people see, what do you think is going to happen? A crowd is going to gather, right? They're going to be, you know, right in front of DJs. They're all gathered together to see what's going on. And Jesus takes this opportunity. It says in verse 1, He sees the crowd and he says, okay, let's go up and take this giant crowd on top of the mountain. By the way, there's a lot of precedence in mountain in the Old Testament. Moses goes on a mountain. Elijah goes on a mountain. Abraham brings his son up on the mountain. There's a lot of mountain stuff going on. And so there's a lot of history there. And he says, let's go up to the mountain. And so they head up to the mountain and Jesus is going to begin to preach uh, what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And what you have in Scripture is, is probably not everything that Jesus said, but it's all the main things he has po- talked about captured and written down by the gospel writers. So he says this. He brings him up on the mountain and he says, starting in verse 2, he says, and he opened... So seeing the crowds, he went up in the mountain, and he set down his disciples, and they came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, so they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall inherit, receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. So they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Sounds a little bit different than how we talk about blessings, right? We're going to see uh, in the Beatitudes, Jesus looks at different types of blessings. And the first thing he talks about is a blessed brokenness. A blessed brokenness, or these are Beatitudes of need. As Christians, we experience a blessed brokenness. What does that mean? Well, a blessed brokenness is, is pointing to our spiritual weakness. It's pointing to our spiritual weakness. According to Jesus... The one who is blessed is the courageous? No. The wise, the temperate, or the just? No. How about the agreeable, the funny, the easy to get along with, the intelligent, the attractive, the sensitive, the physically fit? No. No, according to Jesus, the one who is blessed is poor, is sad, lowly, Hungry and mistreated. That is the one who is blessed. I, do you see anyone going on Instagram and posting about how poor, sad, lowly, hungry, and mistreated they are? No. How countercultural is it for Jesus to say, these are the ones who are blessed? This runs contrary to every ounce of our natural desire. To be blessed in Jesus' eyes is to run against the flow of this world. This is what Jesus says. So Jesus says, he uses the word blessed nine times. It's the Greek word makirios, 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 makirios. He's just repeatedly using this word blessed. What does it mean to be blessed by God? I mean, it simply means this, to have the favor of God in our lives. Some uh, translate makirios to be happiness or to be happy, and that is a woefully, woefully insignificant translation of what it means to be blessed. It is far too fleeting. This is how I would define what it means to be blessed by God. is to have the favor of God in our lives that brings a state of immense joy and satisfaction in our lives. To be blessed is to have the favor of God in your lives which brings immense joy and satisfaction. So Jesus starts out and he says, If you want to find joy and satisfaction in God, blessed are the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? Well, Jesus teaches that God's blessing or favor is upon you if you are poor in spirit. It is understanding your spiritual bankruptcy. No one comes to God without understanding their spiritual bankruptcy. D.A. Carson summarizes it differently. He says, uh, to put it differently, you are poor in spirit if you know there is nothing in you, not family ties, respect in the community, occupation or so-called good works or personal holiness that is valuable enough to commend you to God. Being poor in spirit is the realizing of, of how much you need God's grace in your life and you are completely insufficient in your own power to save yourself. That's why the poor in spirit are blessed. They understand the desperate need they have for Jesus, their Savior. The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, as seen in Matthew, belongs to those that are poor in spirit. It is they who enjoy the Messiah's reign that he brings. It is they who will spend an eternity with God. It is they who are truly blessed. They joyfully accept Jesus' rule and participate in the life of the kingdom. Because they are broken and poor in spirit. Those that are poor in spirit come to God with an attitude of, God, I bring nothing to you. I am fully, hands open, needing your grace and mercy in your life. As one of my favorite Christian songs says, We are sweetly broken. They come to God in complete humility, seeking forgiveness, sin, and reconciliation in their lives. A broken blessedness. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Are you poor in spirit this morning? Or are you still thinking you can save yourself? You truly are blessed when you come to God with a spirit that, that is poor, realizing your sinfulness. Next, Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. There is a, you can trace the idea of mourning throughout all of Scripture from beginning to end. The godly remnant on Jesus' day, they wept because of the humiliation of Israel, but they understand the humiliation of Israel comes from their personal and corporate sins. The psalmist testifies that streams of tears flow from their eyes because they have not obeyed the law of the Lord. When Jesus preached the kingdom of heaven is near, he, like John the Baptist before him, expected not jubilant, but contrite hearts. Blessed are those who mourn. Jesus is saying it's not just enough to acknowledge your personal sin and bankruptcy, but it should lead you to a state of mourning. What Jesus means by blessed are those who mourn is that they see their sin and rebellion in light of God's holiness, and it brings them to tears and mourning. They see the pain that their sin causes in the world and the sin of the world causing pain in other people's lives and it causes them to weep because they love what God loves. They have a clear grasp and understand of God's holiness and goodness and how truly short they fall of that. Blessed are those who mourn. And they also understand that God meets them in that mourning. Weeping for sins is, a deep, uh, is found in out scripture and is a deeply poignant sign. It can cover global sin as well as personal sin and our participation in it. You find it all over the Old Testament. You find it all over the New Testament. Does your sin cause you to mourn this morning? Do you see the sin of the world and do you weep? It's what Jesus did. And the beautiful thing is is that even though we are so broken and we are so sinful, God meets us in our mourning. And he comes and wraps us us, and binds up our wounds and gives us forgiveness and heals us and, and makes us new. But we come to him in mourning. Jesus moves on, blessed are the meek. What does it mean to be meek? Well, he's talking about humility. If you realize your sinfulness, if it brings you to mourning, you're going to be humble. It's the opposite of bold and brash. For if you understand and feel your need for God, you will not be bold and brash and self-assertive. You come to God in humility. You'll be humble. Meekness describes someone who is gentle and humble and unassuming. Unassuming. To be meek also implies that we are to be meek towards other people, to be free of malice and a vengeful nature. We realize we're all in the same boat. We acknowledge our spiritual bankruptcy and mourn, but we respond with meekness. When others fall and fail in our lives, we respond with meekness towards them. Meekness, therefore, requires such a true view about ourselves, it will express itself in our attitudes towards other people. When you are truly meek, you realize your sinful nature and your desperate need for God and how others are just right there with you. They're in the same boat as you. And so you are forgiving, you are meek, you are kind, you are gentle. A blessed brokenness we experience as Christians. It's not the blessedness of this world necessarily, but it is a beautiful blessedness where God enters into our broken lives and begins to bind them back up. Next, verse 6, Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Well, I think this is a fairly obvious one, right? To hunger and thirst for righteousness is to hunger and thirst for what God desires and loves. It's to strive to live as Jesus' righteous example in the world. To come to God through faith and to receive forgiveness from our sin, understanding righteousness comes from God alone. Those that are blessed and hunger and thirst for righteousness They desire to live out God's righteousness and justice everywhere they are. So how blessed are you this morning? By the standards of what Jesus says it means to be blessed, how blessed are you? How blessed is your attitude? Do you believe what Jesus teaches us here? Or do you believe the prevailing lies of our culture, that you're blessed if you express yourself, you're blessed if you're free to do whatever you want, you're blessed if you just are yourself and just act as you want, you're blessed if you realize your innate power inside you, you're blessed if you're self-confident, blessed if you're self-reliant, blessed if you're self-assured. Oh, brothers and sisters, this was the first sin of Adam and Eve. Reach out and take that forbidden fruit. No one gets into the kingdom of God, Jesus says, unless they realize their need for God. No one squeezes through the eye of the needle unless they give up their baggage and weight and sin that flattens down their soul at the foot of the cross. Whether it's possessions, pride, self-love, or self-righteousness. How blessed are you this morning? Blessed are the mourn; those who mourn. Blessed are those who meek. And fourthly, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. A righteousness that comes through faith in Christ alone. This is what it means to experience a broken blessedness in our lives, but we also experience a selfless blessedness in our lives. These are beatitudes of action, and what Jesus is getting at with the beatitudes is if we experience a blessed brokenness, we will also be a blessing to other people. Jesus says in verse 7, blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those that are filled with mercy. They embrace both forgiveness and Uh, for their guilt and compassion and suffering for the needy. No particular object of the demand of mercy is specified here. We're just to be merciful to everyone. Not those that we think we deserve it. Not those that are our friends. Not those that share the same political party. Not those that just look like us. But everyone we are to be merciful towards, to show immense mercy, even those we don't think deserve it. Mercy is a beautiful thing, if you've ever seen it in action. Um, A few years back, I was at the grocery store, and I don't know why most of my stories take place at the grocery store. I I promise I do not live there. Um, I just spend a lot of time there, I guess. But I was at the grocery store a few years back, and there was a, a woman... I'd say late 80s to early 90s. She, she had a cane. She was having difficulty grocery shopping. And I was going uh, walking down the aisle. I saw her. I watched her for a couple minutes. Like minutes and I'm like, okay, I'm going to go help this woman. And so I, I started to go over there when a young man, probably late, mid to late teens would be my guess, he comes up to this woman and, he, and he, I don't hear the conversation, but all of a sudden he starts helping her. He's pulling stuff on the shelf. He's following her along the grocery store. And he was showing immense mercy to this woman I don't think he'd ever met before in his entire life. There's something beautiful about mercy. Showing mercy to people is, is really looking at people as human beings regardless of where they are at. And it's tied to the context of being meek. It's the meek who are also the merciful. For to be meek is to acknowledge that we're sinners, we're affected by sin, life is difficult, it's challenging, and it's to look at our other human beings in our life and to have compassion for them. For they're sinners too, they're affected by sin. Aging is a result of sin. They too are affected by sin and brokenness of the world. So showing mercy is really reaching into someone's life and coming alongside them. It's getting down and dirty in the, in the dirt and the mess of what they have going on. It's coming alongside and entering into their brokenness and binding them up. And we are not merciful if we don't understand our brokenness first, Jesus is saying. And I want you to think this week, who are those that you can show mercy to in your life this week? Just a few more left. We're going to go on. Blessed are the pure in heart, Jesus says. The pure in heart. This this seems confusing to me when I first read it. What does it mean to be pure in heart? Well, some commentators say it means to have inner moral purity. While others say it means to have a a single-minded commitment to God or an undivided heart in regards to loyalty to Christ. So which is it? Moral purity or an undivided loyalty? I think it's a false dichotomy. It's impossible to have one without the other. The one who is single-minded in commitment to the kingdom and its righteousness will also be inwardly pure. If we are singly focused on our commitment to Jesus and the kingdom of God, we will also live in purity and devotion to God. Next, blessed are the peacemakers. And being a peacemaker, Jesus is summing everything up here of the Beatitudes. Being a peacemaker is to live out the Beatitudes in our daily lives. Jesus does not limit peacemaking to only one kind and neither will his disciples. In light of the gospel, Jesus himself is the supreme peacemaker. He is the one who made peace between God and man. He's the one who brings, makes peace between man and man. Our peacemaking will include the proclamation of the gospel in their lives, sharing it, spreading it, sharing that peace with other people. It's also extended to seeking all kinds of reconciliation in our lives. So being a peacemaker means that instead of delighting in division and bitterness and strife or some petty divide and conquer mentality, Jesus' disciples, when they live out the Beatitudes, they strive to make peace in every aspect of their life, wherever possible. We too are called to be peacemakers. We can bring peace wherever we go by interacting with others in a way that seeks to bring peace and reconciliation in their lives and relationships. And on an even bigger, grander scale, we are called to be peacemakers by pointing other people to the ultimate peacemaker. That's the point of the Beatitudes. Jesus lived out the Beatitudes. And when we do too, we are pointing them to the ultimate peacemaker. By the way, these are our friends and family members and co-workers that are living as enemies of God in desperate need of God's peace and reconciliation in their lives through the cross of Christ. When we share the gospel with them, when we live out the beatitudes in our lives, we are pointing them to Jesus. Jesus is the one who makes even God's enemies friends and brings peace and restoration to their lives. This is the ultimate form of peace we can share with others. This is how we have a selfless blessedness uh, by selflessly loving other people's lives. And lastly, Jesus talks about a future blessedness. As Christians, we don't experience necessarily all of God's blessedness in this life. But he says in verse 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's no accident, by the way, that Jesus should go from talking about peacemaking to persecution. For the world enjoys its cherished hates, its prejudices, so much that peacemaking is not always welcome. Opposition is a normal mark of being a disciple of Jesus. When we live out the Beatitudes, when we live out the counterculture way that Jesus talks about living, we are living against the world. We're going upstream. And Jesus tells us this will result in persecution, and we are blessed for it. I can't th- help but think about our Afghan Christians who are experiencing persecution right now. They're living counterculturally in a, in a region in the world that wants nothing to do with Jesus and they are blessed. There is this resounding question in the Beatitudes. Will you stand and live them out, stand for God's standards, even if it means persecution for you? And you may ask, okay, Pastor Andrew, how does being persecuted bless me? That's a fair question, but here's what Jesus, I think, he means by blessed are those who are persecuted. There is a sense in the Beatitudes where we receive blessing from God in this world. It is partial now. We have not fully received it. We will fully receive it in the future. If you study theology, there's this idea of the kingdom of God is already here but not fully yet consummated. It's here but it hasn't yet fully arrived. Jesus is saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Jesus ends his Beatitudes by saying, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We find blessing for those who follow the Beatitudes of Jesus because they are full partakers in the kingdom of God. Those that live out the Beatitudes do so by faith in Christ and are promised an immense blessing. The starting point of living out the blessed way of life is found in the Beatitudes of Faith. Living out this way is truly a blessing for us. We receive some of that in this life through ongoing relationship with Christ and through relationship with one another. And that is truly a blessing. As Christians, we belong to the kingdom of heaven and not the kingdom of this world. And part of the blessing found in the Beatitudes is that we get to participate in this kingdom of heaven in a real sense. And this is an immense blessing. However, this kingdom is not yet fully realized. And part of living as Christians in this world is we experience persecution in this life. Part of the amazing part of of living out the blessing of the Beatitudes is we are get to participate in what Jesus is doing in this world. When you live out the Beatitudes, you are actually, God is working through you, through the Holy Spirit, to bring about the kingdom of heaven. He is actively using you to do his will to those around you. The pain we experience now is worth it. So what? Well, we see Jesus embodied a broken blessedness. In Matthew twenty seven twenty eight through 31, it says, And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand, and kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail the king of the Jews! And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and led him away to crucify him. Jesus experienced blessed brokenness in the ultimate way. Jesus also embodied a selfless blessedness. I preached in Philippians 2, 6, that Jesus, though he was God in the flesh, did not equate equality with God, something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on a form of a servant, and then humbled himself and went to the cross. Jesus also embodied a future blessedness. It says this in Hebrews 12, 3, and 2. Consider him Jesus who endured for sinners such hostility against himself, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We look at Jesus as our future blessedness, for we face persecution. Now, I don't mean to put down other religions this morning and other gods, but who is like Jesus? What is like Christianity, what other religion calls you to live in this way and has a Savior who models it for you? We have a Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus, who modeled it for you. He doesn't call us to go down a road he hasn't traveled. He lives selflessly in this broken world looking towards his future blessedness. I have two practical takeaways for you this morning. We find true blessedness or happiness in full submission to God. The Beatitudes are all about authority. The main purpose of Jesus and teaching in the Beatitudes is, is to teach us to live in authority to God. We see from this teaching we find our greatest blessedness or joy and satisfaction when we live out the Beatitudes as Jesus lived. When you are poor in spirit when you mourn for the sin in your life and the sin of the world, and when you are meek and hunger and thirst for righteousness, your life will be filled with greatest joy and satisfaction. In a real sense, we get to experience the kingdom of heaven in this way when we live out the Beatitudes. And secondly is this, we are called to live as peacemakers. When we live out the Beatitudes in our lives, we live a blessed brokenness and a blessed selflessness That points others to Jesus. Jesus was truly the peacemaker. All the Beatitudes end with a call from Jesus to live as peacemakers in our lives. Now, I want to be clear, by the way being a peacemaker is not sitting passively by, idly wringing our hands as the world falls apart around us. Being a peacemaker is not just simply avoiding conflict. That's not what Jesus is saying. Peacemakers seek to reconcile broken relationships in their lives. Peacemakers seek to reconcile the broken world around us. A peacemaker sees the brokenness and the sinfulness of this world and acts to bring about restoration. Most importantly, this is done through Jesus, the ultimate peacemaker. He gave up his life to make his enemies friends. He died in order to make his enemies friends. Romans 5.10 says this, For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. As God's people, the ultimate act of peacemaking is pointing people to Jesus. Through our actions and also through our words. It's through the sharing of the gospel in our lives. It's through building relationships with people and pointing them to Jesus. It's through living out the Beatitudes when we do that. We act as a peacemaker who points people, which points people to the one who brings them peace, which is Christ. So by these standards, I know we covered a lot. I probably could have preached this in ten sermons. How blessed are you this morning? Are you blessed in a way that the Beatitudes talk about? Are you looking and chasing the blessedness that comes from, that that Jesus talks about in the Beatitudes? Or are you chasing a blessedness, the blessedness that the world offers, which is, It's a fake and false blessedness. Nothing wrong enjoying the things of this world, but we should be running after what the Beatitudes talk about. Let us pray and go to the Lord. Father God, I'll just be honest. Every time I read the Beatitudes, I have a hard time swallowing what's there. Blessed are the poor in spirit, the meek those that weep and mourn and, and those that, that hunger and thirst for righteousness. I don't naturally want to do that, God. I don't. God, and I never imagine that there are some people sitting in the pews this morning, they don't naturally want to do that either. God, I pray that you work uh, in our hearts. God, help us to see how beautiful the Beatitudes are, how a broken blessedness, a selfless blessedness, God truly is where you meet us. It truly is a blessing. And help us to run after those things, to run after humility, to weep for our sins, and to seek to reach other people, pointing them to the ultimate peacemaker, the Lord Jesus Christ. God, help us to do this. We can only do it through your own power. We thank you and we pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.